It is Thursday, February 29th. I'm Scott Seidenberg. And I'm A.J. Hoffman. Workouts begin at the NFL Combine. And we're changing the college football playoff already? Here comes the Vegas truth. This is straight out of Vegas. We are straight out of Vegas AM, your daily destination for sports conversation with a Vegas lean. Here's what you need to know to start your day. NFL Combine continues out in Indianapolis. The Lakers with a big fourth quarter win the Battle of L.A. And looks like Kyle Filipowski is going to be just fine. What is the Vegas lead, Scott? Well, first off, it's leap day, AJ. All right. I didn't, Febru- I didn't even notice when you said it's Thursday, February 29th. It's February 29th. Oh, happy you know, leap day. For those that don't know, like, you know, it's, it's was it, 30 days, have September, April, noon. April, and, noon. April, June, <laughs> and November, all the rest of 31. Yeah. Except for February, just 28. Yeah. But every four years, we get a February 29th. I feel like every four years, we should get just get the day off on February 29th. It should be celebrated. Like, I have a friend whose birthday is actually today on February 29th. So, like, like you, you only you have a birthday once every four years. If you're a salaried worker, like, I feel like you're getting ripped off, to be quite honest. Like, it's an extra day out of the year. Yeah. Like, it, it's, it doesn't make sense. First, I mean, we can have a whole podcast discussion about pay schedule, oh, 52 weeks. Gosh. There's four weeks in a month, right? Yeah. But there's 52 weeks in a year. Yeah. The math doesn't add up. So we're getting overpaid? No. We're getting paid by, like, I don't, a month. I don't even know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. We, I don't know. All I know is February 29th should be a national holiday. We should all be able to. It, it's I just, guess maybe a global holiday, even. It's just weird. <laughs> like, you know, once every four years. A couple of things that are just weird. If I underst- we got rid of daylight savings time, could we get rid of leap year? That's what I'm thinking about. Like, daylight savings time needs to be gone. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't make sense that I go to Arizona and it's a different time. That is like, odd. It doesn't make sense. But. Half the year, it's the same time. Yeah. But only too, half the it's year, it's a different time. And it's actually only half of Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're, you're even pays it attention depends to on it. where yeah. you are in Arizona. Oh. Uh, all right. So, leap year. Uh, happy leap day for those who, that, that celebrate. For those who celebrate. For those yes. that celebrate. The NFL Combine Workouts will officially begin this afternoon with defensive linemen and linebackers. We have a special guest here to break down the NFL Combine and the NFL Draft as a whole. Lance Zerline from the NFL Network will join us in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to the Combine, AJ, and we know the big guys aren't going to throw the quarterbacks. is what everybody's going to talk about. But what do you think will be the biggest storyline that will be talked about when we record Monday morning. As far as quarterbacks go? Well, as far as anybody's true. And I guess, like, the quarterbacks are Saturday, the linemen are Sunday. So Monday morning when the combine workouts are done, what are we going to be talking about? I think we'll be talking about who is the third quarterback behind uh, Caleb Williams and Drake May. and it, Even if, though Jaden Daniels not throwing. Even though he's not throwing. That's, that's why I think okay. we'll be talking about it. Because if, if he sits out, there could, at least until his pro day, I think there will be some buzz on somebody. And I don't know if that somebody is J.J. McCarthy. I don't know if that somebody is Bo Nix. But I think between 
this weekend when those guys work out and they see Jaden Daniels work out, there's going to be a push for one of those guys to jump up draft boards and maybe be in the conversation for the third uh, quarterback taken. I think you're right. I think that the quarterback will the quarterback position will be the topic of conversation. And I don't know if it's going to be because of we're going to be debating who the third quarterback being taken in the draft is, or maybe even who the second quarterback being taken in the draft is. I think we're going to be talking about one of these quarterbacks that we've watched for a long time in college, whether it's a Michael Penix Jr. or a Bo Nix or, or even a J.J. McCarthy, and we're going to be asking ourselves, why isn't there more talk about this player in the NFL draft? You know, like, why isn't a guy like Bo Nix who, you know, four-year starter, right, all the accolades, the touchdown-to-interception ratio, why is he not a top NFL quarterback? And maybe after we watch him throw this weekend and go through all the workouts, maybe the conversation will be like, hey, you know what? This guy could be a starting quarterback for a team in the NFL this year. Because let's face it, it, go, it works both ways. There's guys who show up and have these phenomenal workouts and people yeah. go gaga over them, a la Anthony Richardson. Uh, yeah. and, or, and you want to go back even further, Jamarcus Russell. Like, at the start of the, it's the start of the offseason of college football. Like, between when the last college football game was played and when Jamarcus Russell went number one overall, <laughs> Jamarcus Russell wasn't even close to being the number one overall prospect. That was all workout, workout here, watch me throw, watch it. Famously threw from his knees something like 60 yards, which was absurd. So but, did Kyle Bowler. Yeah, and we're, well. Listen, Kyle Bowler had like three times the NFL career Jamarcus Russell yeah, did, so yeah, let's not hate too much. But it, it, there's somebody who's going to impress enough with their workouts mm -hmm. that people are going to go, man, that's awesome. And it, like I said, it may only be short-lived because Jaden Daniels, who seems like probably the most, most athletic or explosive uh -huh. athlete of this group, he'll be one of the last ones to work out. So maybe he jumps back up with a good workout, mm -hmm. and I think you're more likely to have a good workout in a pro day environment than you are at the combine. But uh, I think between now and then, we're going to hear some buzz about somebody. Yeah, LSU's pro day is not until March 29th. Yeah. So that's a long ways away uh, before we see Jaden Daniels working out on the field. Joining us now from ESPN 97.5 in Houston and the NFL Network, he is one of the best draft analysts you will find out there these days. He is Lance Zerline joining us on Straight Out of Vegas AM. How you doing, Lance? I'm doing good, AJ. Man, good to catch up with you again. All right. You are in Indianapolis, and I think the biggest story is maybe the combine itself. Like, it, it seems like more and more play. like Caleb Williams isn't throwing. Jaden Daniels isn't running or throwing. I mean, is the combine essentially becoming just uh, an interview and a, a meeting spot for these top players, or do you think this is just a, a, a short burst of a couple guys who, who don't want to work out? or want to have contained workouts at their pro days, or is this like the trend going forward? Is this going to be the future? Well, I'm always, I'm always curious if something's going to be a trend. Like last year, CJ threw, Stroud, Anthony Richardson threw, Will Levis threw, only Bryce Young didn't. And that, I think that's in part because Bryce Young had to gain as much weight as he could to get over 200 pounds. And so I expected him not to work out because I think he put – on kind of fake weight to get over the 200 pound mark. And then at his pro day, you know, he wouldn't weigh, he just threw. So um, this year it kind of surprised me when Daniels, Caleb Williams, and I guess Drake may also, I think all three of them may not throw now. And then Malik neighbors is not going to run. Marvin Harrison jr. Is not even going to work out at all. So this is a little bit, um, 
I don't, and the disturbing is not the word, but it's a little bit alarming for NFL teams that, look, it's one thing not to work out the combine. You still work out your pro day. But what Marvin Harrison Jr. is doing is a little unusual. He doesn't have an agent. Um, the Lamar Jackson thing, famously, Lamar missed out on, I'm telling you, millions on, I, I got to see contracts that were agreed upon. And then uh, Lamar's side just balked and wanted more money at the end, and they ended up losing out on deals. So I think not having an agent's one thing, but the not training for the combine, okay, I get it. Only training for the season, that's fine too. But teams do like to to know, you know, what your athletic numbers are. So if he gets drafted high, which he's likely going to on no testing at all, you do wonder if that becomes a trend. Because one thing we have noticed with collegiate age players and young players in general is, once it starts in a direction, it easily turns into a trend where other players like doing the same thing. So um, I had an agent who was listening to me do my radio show in Houston, and I was talking about Caleb Williams is not going to take a physical. Like, that's rare. Not taking a physical is extremely rare. And so my thought is, okay, if you don't, if you don't do a physical, teams can't check you for myocarditis, periocarditis, any heart issues they can't check your shoulders they can't check your knees and the agent's concept was well this is really smart because now you know he's going to go first they won't have an opportunity to see it but like there needs to be a healthy balance between what's best for the player and what's best for the team and when you're trying to game the system i don't love it so um there's 328 prospects here aj so most of them are going to work out uh, a gigantic percentage of them will but once we get to the the point that they are not even working out at their own pro days, that's going to be a big concern for me. Lance, let's talk about the quarterbacks. How many of these guys do you have a first-round grade on? I have I have almost a first-round grade on J.J. McCarthy, but he'll go on to first. Bo Nix, first-round grade. I have five, what amounts to five first-round grades, and I think five quarterbacks going to first round. So what about that next group? The Michael Penix Juniors, Spencer Rattler, Michael Pratt of Tulane. Uh, are these guys expected to go in day two? Um, I don't know if Pratt goes day two. Penix should, unless the medicals knock him out. I think Spencer Rattler has a chance to go day two. I think we may only see at most eight quarterbacks total by the end of the day two, which is, you know, we're talking about top 100. Like, honestly, I don't have a top 100 grade on, on Spencer Pratt or Spencer Rattler. So if it, it wouldn't shock me if maybe Michael Penix is the only guy in on day two quarterback that goes, because there's some really talented players at different positions. And quite frankly, I don't think there's any chance Pratt becomes a future starter. I don't think there's really a chance that Spencer Rattler does. So I don't know that I'm spending a, a even a third round pick on a quarterback unless I'm really confident that he could step in and potentially help me win some games in the future as a good backup to even potential eventual starter. And I don't have those that kind of grade on guys after we get past Penix. How, how do we look at this class relative to last year? Like, I mean, obviously Caleb Williams would have gone number one last year, but like is the depth of that first group, the Caleb Williams, uh, Drake May, and and Jane Daniels, is that group as strong as a year ago, stronger than a year ago? What, 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 kind of, what kind of crop do you think we're looking at? Well, I think it's stronger than a year ago. You saw Will Levis, how he fell. Anthony Richardson was a bit of a surprise pick at four. 
Um, Bryce and CJ, you know, one, two, that's not a, a huge surprise. But when you look at just the depth of, let's just say, the top four quarterbacks, or even if we want to go five, and I can't even recall who the fifth quarterback was off the board last year, to be honest. Um, when we want to talk about the top four, it's probably going to be the three you mentioned, and then it's going to be either Bo Nix or J.J. McCarthy. My guess is McCarthy goes first, but I have Nix ahead of him on my grades. But I think if you look at the the five, those five versus last year's four, um, I feel much stronger. I had a second-round grade on Richardson and uh, Will Levis. So, you know, I only had two first-round grades last year on quarterbacks. This year I have four, and after the combine I could end up with five. So, yeah, a lot deeper this year. When we talk about the the quarterbacks, it seems like a lot of who's going to be interested in quarterbacks is still TBD, like with, with the Bears situation. Uh, the Falcons, what are the Falcons going to do? Like in your mind, are, are these teams that are, they're currently sitting at the top, uh, the bears, the commanders, the Patriots, uh, the Falcons, are those the teams most likely to be in on, on that high end quarterback? Or do you think we're going to see uh, more trades? Oh, I think we could see movement. I think Minnesota Vikings, Denver Broncos, uh, Oakland Raiders, the giants could, could move from six up. I think what generates trades or when you see a potential, you, you see a landing spot for a quarterback, and you know you have to beat that quarter that 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 spot. Six is that spot because four is pretty much locked into wide receiver Arizona. Five, the 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 needs of the Chargers really doesn't make sense for me to draft number five. I mean, now look, you could end up getting the best player in the draft in Malik Neighbors potentially. So, like, you might sit there. But if you know you can trade back and still add draft capital, I think five is a, is going to get a lot of phone calls. Harbaugh and the, and the Chargers are going to get a lot of phone calls about moving ahead of the Giants. Similarly, you look at the Falcons in eight and you say, man, that could be a quarterback spot. Look at the Titans sitting there at seven. Let's get ahead. We're Minnesota or we're Denver or we're the Raiders. Let's get ahead of Atlanta at eight and go draft J.J. McCarthy at seven. So, yeah, I think there's a decent chance that because so many teams from like pick number eight all the way to pick number, what is it, 14 with the Raiders, there's so many quarterback needs in there, and there's there's a landing spot at five and seven that are potential trade-ins. I think we will see trades uh, ahead of either six or eight that lead to a quarterback being drafted. You mentioned Malik Neighbors as potentially the best player in this draft and with other guys expected to go high like Marvin Harrison and uh, Dunze. Would you say this is a deep wide receiving class? It is, but the first three are in one tier, and then it drops off to Mitchell from Texas, uh, Brian Thomas Jr. from LSU. Um, you know, you you have below that group, it turns into guys like Roman Wilson and Lad McConkey and uh, Jermaine Burton. But then you've got, I mean, it's really deep wide receiver draft once you get into the second round it's going to be deep for the second and third you know second and third round so for me the first probably 75 picks are going to be really quality wide receivers who have a chance to become starters so it's not just about depth but it's really good depth at wide receiver from a starting standpoint one of the guys who I'm surprised to see not as much buzz about him, and I mean, he was talked about a lot this season as, as maybe the best player at his position in years is Brock Bowers. And now it looks like most mocks, including yours, has like a mid-round uh, pick taking Brock Bowers. 
how much of that has to do with the player and how much of that has to do with the, the value of that fifth year uh, on a or, or, or even the, the second contract of a wide receiver versus a tight end? It has everything to do with the second the second point you made. It has nothing to do with Brock Bowers. Um, Brock is going to run fast, jump high, is going to test well. He doesn't look that imposing, but when the ball's in his hands, he is phenomenal. So I think, uh, you know, for a tight end position, so if it'd be one thing if he were Kyle Pitts and he was 6'5", 6'6", and 250 pounds and jumped a 38-inch vertical. He's going to jump high, but he doesn't have those special measurables. And so what's going to happen is teams are going to look at him, and they're all going to like him, but they say, man, tackle's such an important position. we got to take tackle. Man, wide receiver, so important. we got some good ones. Cornerback, quarterback, pass rusher. These are the, the most important positions on the field are all loaded in the first round. And so where are you going to take a tight end? I mean, that's, it's just going to be hard. To, it's hard to slot them in a mock draft because of the need that the team needs that are out there. So <clears throat> the team that drafts them may end up being kind of a surprise. But from a talent, these are my top five players of the draft because he's just rare after the catch. Like you just don't see guys who are good after the catch like Brock Bowers. He's a, he's a freight train. So, um, and plus a good point that was made, and you just made it too, and Daniel Jeremiah talked about it on Move the Sticks, is a team told him, look, you may pay, for example, like $8 million for a tight end in the first round. And then in the second contract, he gets $12 million. So there's be a $4 million difference. You draft a wide receiver, however, let's say it's $8 million versus $20 million his next his next contract. So there's a lot, there's a lot better value over the long, you know, over the course of two contracts when you're able to get a cheaper wide receiver in a rookie contract as opposed to a tight end who have a similar contract in both you know, both contract one and contract two. So it's just, you know, it's just like inside linebackers won't be one in the first round. Running backs won't be running the first round. It's just the way it is. It's really like basketball. You study this stuff. The the basketball has become fine-tuned because of the Daryl Morey pace and space and, you know, threes and freeze. That concept, well, football is becoming that way too where they're really fine-tuning in on, the value of certain positions. Let's talk about the big boys up front, the offensive lineman, Lance. Is there any that stand out to you, or is this a relatively deep class? No, it's really good. Uh, really good starting talent and some high-end talent. I, I made this point in a show I did today. There's a decent chance that the sixth tackle taken in this year's draft is better than the first tackle taken in this year's draft. Like, It's so mashed up with guys like uh, – um, Guyton out of Oklahoma, Amarius Mims out of Georgia. Those two could be the fifth and sixth tight ends, but I mean, tackles, but it also wouldn't surprise me based on their traits and their upside if they were like the third or the second or third tight ends off the board. It's it's really going to be intriguing to get done with this process and start to find out what some of the other teams think about where they're stacking their offensive linemen because the tackles are really – there's a bunch of starters and a bunch of good starters in the first round, probably as many as six. So, yeah, it's deep. There's some good depth in the second and maybe even into the third – well, into the third round with guards and centers. But from a tackle standpoint, this is really a quality – I mean, the all the six tackles could be off the board by the time you get to the 21st pick. And once you get past those six, you're going to have to wait a little bit. 
talk about the secondary crop. It seems like we, we talk about premium positions. It seems like that's been one over the last couple of years, but it seems like maybe this season or this, this particular cycle, uh, the teams aren't looking at them as, as valued, or is that just a, a sort of a, a more of a say on what these players actually are at that position? Yeah, it's really more AJ. It's really just, you know, kind of, who's at the position, like you don't really have the ability to, to get too picky. I mean, corner is such a, a massive, massive need. Safety play is one where it's either you're really, really good or we'll wait on you, one of those two. And when I look at the corner draft, like it's a good corner draft. I'm telling you, Terry and Arnold will be a first-rounder, uh, Nate Wiggins from Clemson, Quinion Mitchell from Toledo, Kool-Aid McKinstry, and maybe, maybe – um, Cooper DeJean or DeJean or Ennis Rakestraw from Missouri. But even when you get beyond those guys in the first, you know, potentially the first round, Renardo Green is one of the most slept on cornerbacks in the nation. I thought his tape was fantastic. And I'm kind of wondering if teams are going to see it the way I see it when this is all said and done, where he should be pushed up way higher. There's some good players like Kamari Lasker, corner out of out of Georgia, who's going to be a second rounder. DJ James, second or third out of Auburn. He's just a little bit small. Chris Abrams drain, I think has a chance to go into second round from Missouri. But once again, he's like 170 pound corner. And this is the weird thing about this draft. It's like, there's just a bunch of Skittle eater eating cornerbacks and candy eating cornerbacks who have not had the proper nutrition. Cause so many of them are in the one seventies to low one eighties. Like that used to be a no go in the NFL. But nowadays, Hey, I mean, if you can cover it, we just got done seeing a draft with a quarterback under 200 pounds and Bryce Young, no matter what you saw him weigh at the combine, he plays at under 200. We saw a 163-pound wide receiver and Tank Dell going to third round. Xavier Worthy's probably not going to hit 170 pounds, and he's going to you know, get drafted on day two. So the size standards, have, are it's, it's, it's really being stretched by these talented guys who are undersized, but these corners, if they had better size and they were in the 190s, we would see even more cornerbacks in the first round potentially. Now, you already said, you know, nobody's going to take a running back in the first round. It doesn't seem like there's any first round caliber running backs in, in this class. But how much does what's going on with, you know, the running back situation, the state of affairs, if you will, in the NFL right now, how much does that impact where these guys will go in this draft? Because everybody's looking for a cheaper alternative to a Saquon Barkley or a Josh Jacobs or trying to find the next one of those guys that they've got some control over. Is this going to become like a game of chicken on who's going to jump at the first couple running backs? Yeah, I think so. To some extent, it depends on how teams look. I think everyone's making a big mistake. I think if you have a talented running back now, look, Bijan is a special talent. I thought, Travis Etienne was a special talent. <clears throat> Those guys aren't in, the, in this draft. But if you have a guy that you think is a special talent, I actually think it's a better idea to grab a wide receiver at the back end of the first, get the fifth-year option on the running back where you can actually hang on to him for one more year of club control, and then you've got another year of franchise tag. So you've got six years with a running back. You know, that's – that's phenomenal. If you can get six years out of running back, that's usually when it's time to get away from them anyway. So I, I think that we may, I'm wondering who the first team that's going to recognize that there may be better value potentially in having that fifth year option. But then again, if there's not the movement and free agency for running backs, then maybe you don't even worry about that. But um, I do think that we're going to start seeing 
a lot more emphasis put on the second round of draft for running backs. Second round would be the new first round for running backs. And I do think this year we could see uh, Jalen Wright, Jonathan Brooks, Trey Benson. We could see as many as as three running backs drafted in the second round. Lance, let's talk about maybe uh, some sleepers or bust potential. We'll start with the sleeper aspect. Uh, Is there a player or players that stand out to you as going to be a real gem for a team that drafts them? I'd say a guy named Austin Booker. He's a kind of a strange. You don't see guys like him very often. He's played less than 520 snaps in his entire college career. Two years at Minnesota where he barely, I think he had eight snaps total. He played one year at Kansas, yet his Kansas, he's 6'6", about 240. Yet his Kansas tape is so impressive, and you see so many flashes, and he has such long arms that you really, I've given him a projection grade of, a first-round talent. Now, he's not going in the first round, but I do think he'll go in the second, and I think he's going to have a big combine. So he's a guy that I've got a much higher grade on than the marketplace is going to have him. And I think when I think when teams get a look at him and see him test the combine, they're going to be a little higher. J.C. Latham is another one, tackle out of Alabama. I think I'm higher on, and I think you know some of, some of the stuff that I write up or some of the mocks may – because people look at me as a, some kind of all offensive line guy, uh, it can have an impact on some of the mock drafts. So that could potentially move some value or numbers around in, in your world. That could be the case. Um, I think that <clears throat> I am higher on, um, let's see, I would be higher or lower on, I'm lower on J.J. McCarthy than the market. I, I, I see him more as a back end of the first, early second, but I think he's going to get drafted a lot higher. Jatavion Sanders, I think, uh, from University of Texas, is going to really, really become a big-time pass-catching tight end. I, I see stuff with him on the field that I just think, man, this guy could end up being a major, major matchup issue for teams. I don't think they got that Texas got him the ball enough, and it wouldn't surprise me if another in, in NFL team – looked at him and said, you know what, Brock Bowers is the best tight end, but this guy's right behind him, and then there's a drop-off after that. Let's let's take Sanders a little earlier than we might have because he's such a good wide-receiving talent. So I'm a little lower on Jerzon Newton than others. I think he's a second-rounder. You primarily see him in the first round of drafts. And then uh, Cooper DeJean, I'm, I'm actually I'm, – I think he's a second-rounder. A lot of people have him in the first. I do not have him in the first. Well, one more guy I want to ask you about before we uh, before we let you go here is Byron Murphy. He's, speaking of Texas, he, this was a guy who, when I was watching him, and, and obviously you watch these these lines a lot better than I do, uh, it just seemed like this was just a, a, a guy that created havoc, is just a, a force. Is him sort of being not a, a not looked at as a top 10 guy, is that more uh, positional, or is, is the, does that say something about what he's got going on? Now it says, says something more about the rest of the draft. Quarterbacks get the print. You have three special wide receivers. You have a, a key position in, in uh, you know, offensive tackle. And then you have, but he's going to get drafted ahead of a lot of the, he's going to get drafted ahead of a lot of tackles. Uh, when you have quarterbacks and wide receivers that are this good, you're probably going to see seven of the first eight picks are going to be, you know, quarterback or wide receiver. You're going to have pass rushers, which is, Edge rushers are incredibly important, but Byron Murphy to me could go anywhere between like, you know, Minnesota, who I think is at 11 all the way to Oakland at 14. And I mean, Las Vegas at 14. I'm not sure he goes beyond that. He's, he's going to be a phenomenal tester. He's going to probably run into four sevens. He's going to jump high. 
Um, and then, as you mentioned, AJ, he's one of those guys who is disruptive, not just on first down, but on third down. So if you can play three downs, you, you come in with great lean mass, uh, lean muscle mass. You're a physical, not only a physical specimen, even though he's maybe a little undersized, he's going to be a physical specimen and he's going to test out of the gym and he can rush the passer and stop the run. I mean, he'll easily be the first defensive tackle off the board. As Lance Zerline, draft expert from NFL.com. Lance, appreciate you taking the time during the combine, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you right before the draft. Thanks, Lance. All right, appreciate it. NBA last night, the Battle of L.A. saw a monster fourth quarter from LeBron, scoring 19 of his 34 points during the fourth quarter as the Lakers come back from 21 down to beat the Clippers 116-112. It's still, I, I mean, it's funny. I, I talk about this sometimes when we when we mention Shohei Otani, and I'm like, I don't know if I'll ever get tired of this. It's, it's pretty impressive. Whatever you think of LeBron James from, like, an all-time great standpoint, like a legacy standpoint, and the, if you want to talk about the greatest of all time discussion, whatever, I, I, people feel differently about it. I'm not here to discuss that. Mm-hmm. When you think about this guy being 39 years old <laughs> and doing what he's doing, and it does, I mean, like we've seen some decline, but he's still an elite player. Yep. It's fascinating, isn't it? Like It's, it's, it's unbelievable. It, it, it defies all odds. Um, I thought what was cool about last night's game is unless these two teams meet in the postseason, this, is the, this was the last game of Lakers-Clippers as co-tenants in the arena because the Clippers' new arena opens up next year. So the Clippers will have their new home next season. This was the last shared locker rooms, tunnels, whatever, in the uh, Staples Center, whatever, it's crypto, whatever it's called now, uh, between the Lakers and the Clippers, unless they meet in the uh, in the playoffs. That's so pretty. pretty that uh, that's it's been a long time uh, yeah. since those two have had separate rooms. But yeah, I, I, I'm fascinated by what LeBron's doing. Um, again, I, I, he's not like an MVP caliber player anymore. Uh, I, I don't think anybody would laugh if you put him in the discussion. But the, the idea that Michael Jordan was playing his final year with the Wizards at age 39, and we all know what that looked like mm-hmm. com- compared to LeBron going out here and doing things like this. It's just, it's wow. It, it really is. Elsewhere last night, the Pacers beat the Pelicans 123-114. It was the Mavericks over the Raptors 136-125. Happy Luka. birthday, Luca! A birthday triple-double for Luca last night. 30, 30 points, yeah. 11 boards, 16 assists. Uh, yeah, that, that's pretty good. That, pretty, do you think he had his cake before the game, after, or both? I think he had his cake and ate it, too. Oh, I think that mm, that's good. Timberwolves beat the Grizzlies <laughs> 110-101. It took two overtimes, but the Bulls got by the Cavs 132-123. And the Nuggets beat the Kings 117-96. Here's what's on your schedule for tonight. The Bucks are at the Hornets. Milwaukee an 11.5-point favorite. Jazz visit the Magic. Orlando laying 5.5. Hawks are at the Nets. Brooklyn a short 1.5-point favorite. Warriors 3.5-point favorites at the Knicks. Thunder at the Spurs, OKC laying 11.5. Rockets visit the Suns, Phoenix 8.5-point favorites. Heater at the Nuggets, Denver 4.5-point favorites. And the Wizards at the Lakers, LA 9.5-point favorites. So you have a couple of back-to-backs for teams, AJ. I think with the intensity that we saw last night from the Lakers in that game against the Clippers, with the Wizards coming into town tonight, 
God, do you really want to take the Wizards? Are you? No, 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 no. I'm just saying I don't think people are going to play tonight. Okay. I, I would say that. tonight might be a load management I could, night. I could certainly see that. Talked about Florida and their uh, struggles against the lower-tier teams in the SEC. Struggled a little bit again last night, uh, but they did get a win 83-74 over Mizzou. Tennessee pulled away late from Auburn. Number four, Tennessee, a 92-84 win over the 11th-ranked Tigers. Marquette did not have a problem with Providence. 91-69, a nice win for the Golden Eagles. Number 10, Duke. 84-59. I would say I would say Kyle Filipowski was okay. An 84-59 drubbing of the Louisville Cardinals. Flip, uh, not not at his best, but did have ten boards to go along with six assists and nine points. So it looks like Duke is going to be okay. And man, they are. I, I hate to say it, I didn't think this at the beginning of the year. Duke's starting to come around to me as a team who could uh, who could actually do some damage come turning time. Number eight, Iowa State wins at home. Shocker, 58-45 win over Oklahoma. Number 18, South Carolina bucks the system. They get a 70-68 road win at Texas A&M. Number 12, Creighton, an 85-64 thrashing of the Seton Hall Pirates. Just an absolute ass-kicking here. Big Kalk. Ryan Kalkbrenner, 23 points in the win. Number 13, Illinois, 105-97 win over Minnesota. Uh, number 14, Alabama goes on the road, gets a win at Ole Miss, 103-88. And the number six, Arizona Wildcats, also get a road win uh, just across town, though, 85-67 win at Arizona State. So you like Duke. Do you think there's a chance that the Dukies can get to the two-line? The reason why I bring that up is because looking at the latest uh, bracketology on ESPN by Joe Lenardi, he has Duke as a three seed. But if they can get to a two seed, it would mean a first and second round game in Charlotte, which mm. we know like anytime Duke plays in, you know, in the Carolinas, they're they're going to they're going to win those two games, <laughs> whether in advance to the Sweet 16. Yeah. So if they can get the first two rounds in Charlotte by virtue of being maybe the two seed in the South or something, or or the two seed in the East, then uh, I think that, that bodes well for them. So here's where they're at right now as far as seeding. The, the North Carolina is firmly on the two line, maybe even flirting with the one line. And right now, North Carolina would be the two seed in the East, and that would put them in Charlotte for the first two rounds. So here's what we've got. It, it, the last game of the season, last regular season game, uh, Duke hosts North Carolina. They'll be probably a, a four or five point favorite there. Mm -hmm. I, let's say Let's say they win that. Then I think it comes down to who wins the ACC tournament. Okay, uh, if Duke, win, if Duke the, wins the ACC, the winner of the ACC tournament is a two seed. I, I think so. Unless North Carolina w wins at Duke and then wins the tournament, then I think they're a one seed. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, so uh, because Arizona and North Carolina, Arizona, North Carolina, and Tennessee are all kind of battling for that last one seed. It feels like Purdue, Connecticut, and, and Houston have all locked yeah, up locked in, the yeah. one seeds. Mm -hmm. uh, North Carolina, Tennessee, Arizona sort of you know, jockeying for position. Uh, not Kansas. Right? No, not, I think yeah. Kansas is out of that mix. Especially, I mean, they just had a home loss yeah, to yeah. BYU. Uh, and they're shorthanded right now without Marquette. McCuller. It, it'd be tough. Uh, now, if Marquette wins the Big East, 
Different conversation. Okay. Um, okay. But I, I still think there's a ways for them to get up above that line anyway. So I think it's one of those other three teams. I don't think they want two teams from one conference on the one line. And like I said, I, I think UConn is pretty firmly on it. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm going to say it's going to be either Arizona, North Carolina, or Tennessee. Obviously, Arizona and Tennessee both got wins yesterday. Uh, if North Carolina holds serve, though, and, and wins the ACC, it's going to be hard to keep them out. Uh, but if if Duke can take care of them in the regular season and then win that, that ACC tournament, I, I think there's no reason why Duke wouldn't be on the two line. And that would mean first two-round games in Charlotte, yep. which would certainly tough to be beat them. tough to beat them. That seems like a free trip to the Sweet 16. Don't disagree at all. All right, let's take a look at tonight's schedule. Out in the Pac-12, all these West Coast games. Number 19, Washington State hosting USC. Washington State, a 7.5-point favorite. Number 17, St. Mary's goes on the road. They are 15.5-point favorites at Pepperdine. And ranked once again, the number 23 Gonzaga Bulldogs are on the road. They are three-and-a-half-point favorites at San Francisco. Give me San Francisco. It should be an absolute desperation spot for San Francisco, who, if they don't get this win, are probably eliminated from any kind of at-large conversations. I mean, they're if, if they lose this game, they'll end up going 12-4 and four in conference, and the four losses will be the two St. Mary's games and, and the two Gonzaga games. You have to have one of these. Uh, I think if they can get this one here, they're, they're in that discussion. They're not a lock by any means. Uh, but if they lose that, I think they can forget any chance of an at-large. Just two games in the NHL last night. The Rangers took care of the Blue Jackets 4-1, and the Oilers in overtime beat the Blues 3-2. Much larger schedule of games tonight. We'll start with the Vegas Golden Knights in Boston and take on the Bruins. Boston minus 155. Coyotes are at the Maple Leafs. Toronto a minus 250 favorite. Islanders visit the Red Wings. Detroit minus 115. Sabres are at the Lightning. Tampa minus 165. Canadians at the Panthers. Florida's minus 320. Hurricanes at the Blue Jackets. So the second of a back-to-back for Columbus. Carolina minus 240 favorites. Wilder at the Predators. Nashville minus 120. Jets visit the Stars. Dallas minus 135. Avalanche are in Chicago to take on the Blackhawks. Colorado a minus 290 favorite. Kings are at the Canucks. Vancouver minus 145. Penguins visit the Kraken. Seattle minus 115. And the Ducks are at the Sharks. Anaheim minus 125. The NHL trade deadline is fast approaching. Yeah, it's unlike NBA or, you know, like they have the, the trade deadlines early or whatever. Trade deadline is March 8th. And so there are teams that are still looking to add players to get ready for a, a postseason push or a good Stanley Cup run. The Stars were a part of a three-team deal with the Flames and the Devils yesterday as they got one of their biggest needs, which was getting a good defenseman, and they acquire Chris Tanev from the Calgary Flames, um, and the Flames are going to keep 50% of his salary. So there's a lot of mixed thing going. The Devils were just involved for uh they were like the um, what what like the broker of the deal. The Devils took on the other 50% of the salary or they took the 50% of the salary plus there were some draft picks involved, but the biggest piece here, Chris Tanev now going to the Dallas Stars gives them a big time defenseman that they need that hopefully they could uh you know he can contribute for them to make a Stanley Cup run. So teams that I would look at as the trade deadline approaches, the teams that are sellers, I'd look to start fading them 
and the teams that are buyers, I'd look to start buying in on them. So the Flames uh, don't play tonight, but the next time we see the Flames play, which I I think not until Saturday, I would certainly consider going against the Calgary Flames, losing out on Chris. You know, they're one of their top defensemen now, no longer on the team. We haven't even seen the 12-team playoff yet, Scott, and we're already talking about expansion. It appears that sentiment is growing for a 14-team college football (laughs) playoff. Because you know all that debate that we've had over the 11th and 12th seeds. After the 2025 season, they're saying – they may go to 14 uh, in 2026. I, I mean, this is wild to me, but the format looks like this: the proje- uh, the, uh, pre- the presented format. Mm-hmm. What they're what they're looking at: three automatic qualifiers from the SEC, three from the Big Ten, two each from the ACC and the Big Twelve, one from the Group of Five, three at-large spots. And Notre Dame. Now, Notre Dame, if they are in the top 14, would be guaranteed one of those three at-large spots. Mm-hmm. Um, if not, they aren't. But I, I don't – can't we just wait and see if this works out first? Yeah, like, we have to wait and see about the 12. What this is what this is doing, though, is they agreed on the 12-team format first, and they agreed to the model of – what was it? The, 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 the five-plus – so the four plus seven, whatever, whatever they agreed on, um, to 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 make it work with the automatic bids for the conference champions, the four highest ranked conference champions getting the buys, and then you know the next ranked team is beyond that, the highest highest ranked conference champion getting in as well. I think what's happening now is just with the the conferences expanding so much. They're looking at it and saying, uh, we need more teams in. Or, or it's not going to be fair if uh, we have, you know, two teams battle it out in the championship game and only one of them gets into the playoff because the other one is ranked number 13 in the country or something like that. So I think that they're just trying to find a way to get more teams into the playoff. But you're right. I mean, uh, let's just see how this one plays out first. Let's see how if we're really debating, if somebody really gets left out and they're on the 13 spot and they miss out on being one of the top 12? Let's look at this. Let's take a look at what the what the playoff format would have looked like this year under those rules, who would have been in, and see if we needed this. So if we're looking at with conference realignment, let's just imagine the conferences were realigned for this year, and these were the teams. This was the uh, the top of the uh, the – we'll just use the AP, but obviously there will be some sort of voting committee. We'll say three teams from the Big Ten – Last year, it would have been Michigan, Ohio State, and Washington, a future Big Ten team. Yep, okay. The SEC would have gotten Alabama, Georgia, and Texas into the mix. Okay. The ACC would have Florida State and Louisville. Uh Uh-huh. Louisville? Louisville. The number 19 team in the country? Yep, they'd be in. They'd have a chance. Mm -hmm. The Big 12 would have Arizona and Oklahoma State. Arizona and Oklahoma State, okay. Liberty would be the G5 representative. Notre Dame would have made it because they finished in the top 14, which is the criteria for them mm-hmm. to uh, to get an auto spot. The two uh, at-large bids would have gone to Oregon and Missouri. Now, oddly enough, that would have left out 11-2 and two Ole Miss. Yep. Who was pretty damn good. It would have left out 10 and 3 LSU. It would have left out Penn State. Penn State. 
And Oklahoma. And Oklahoma, 10 and 3. So uh, it, it, there's always going to be dissatisfied people, mm-hmm. no matter what, no matter how you how you dice this thing up. Uh, I just want to see, before we start making you know changes to the 12 team, let's just see how it works. Because it, I'm, this could be the right answer, right? Like the 12, like people are frustrated with four. Okay, I thought maybe going to going to six made sense. Maybe eight. We went straight to 12. That's a big jump. Yeah. Let's see how that works out before we go jumping again. It just doesn't make much sense to me. First, it was Shohei Otani shining in his Dodgers debut. And yesterday, 25-year-old pitching phenom Yoshinobu Yamamoto shined as well. Struck out three batters over two scoreless innings as he gave just a, a, little, a tiny little glimpse on of what Dodgers fans can expect from him this season. He had a fastball that was right around mid-90s, um, and it, it, he showed some movement through 16, for, 16 of 19 pitches for strikes, and couple of swings, especially from, you know, uh, Nathaniel Lowe and uh, Lodi Tavares, they were kind of weak swings uh, on strikeouts. So, like, defensive weak sh- uh, swings there. And this kid, listen, he's got the goods, right? We have to see him when he's built up. We have to see him on a an MLB schedule, right? Japan, and they're more spaced out between starts. So, he's going to have to see how he handles an MLB schedule, but so far, so good. First spring training appearance for Yamamoto did go fairly well for Dodgers fans. Elsewhere, uh, the Orioles getting some depth as they have uh, signed veterans Colton Wong and Julio Tehran to minor league contracts. Wong's 33 years old. They're both 33 years old. I don't know if they're going to have impact on the major league clubs this year. Colton Wong's been with the Cardinals forever. Um, Tehran, you know, good Good, solid pitcher. Made a couple of all-star teams with the Braves a couple of years ago. Uh, so a couple of years. It's probably been more than a couple of years. Um, but, you know, Orioles just adding, adding some depth there. And Sonny Gray has been tabbed as the opening day starter for the St. Louis Cardinals. He becomes the first Cardinals pitcher since Kyle Loesch in 2008 to make his debut on opening day. Uh, that was announced by Cardinals manager Ali Marmol. So congratulations. Sonny Gray will get the opening day start for the Cardinals. Still time to save money at pregame.com using one of our breakfast promo codes. That's right. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And Do you pre- believe that? I do believe that. Mm. I do. Never eat it. Really? Just drink my AG1 and well, go about my day. Sure. But I like eating breakfast. Okay. Yeah. Usually it's just oatmeal. Yeah. Yeah, what do you put in your oatmeal? Lots of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Sugar? No. Good. Really healthy stuff. Okay, good. Like maca and, oh, and no. a lot of yeah. You're ruining it, probably. You know, a lot of <laughs> seeds and stuff. And yeah, it's pre-made. It's pre-packaged. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's overnight oats. Yeah. Uh, bacon twenty. That's right. Save some bacon at pregame.com using the promo code BACON20. Get 20% off your purchase at pregame.com. For AJ Hoffman, our guest, Lance Zerline, I'm Scott Seidenberg. We are straight out of Vegas AM.